Welcome to You Know His Name, a 007 podcast. I'm your host, Tony Artiga, and I'm joined once again with our co-host, John Morgan and Rick. Hi, Morgan. How you guys doing today, fellas? John Morgan. I'm well. I'm well. How are you, Rick Rodriguez? John Morgan, how are you? Rick Rodriguez, how are you? Tony. Artiga. Tony, how are are you doing? I'm doing great. All right, I'm so I'm so amped to do this this yeah, episode. Man. I've been having a lot of fun so far. Yeah, this is. You been... haven't stopped. Well, have you know, everyone? All these episodes are recorded on the same two days. <laughs> no sleep. <laughs> we we I'm I'm quite the I'm quite the workhorse. Um. So yeah, today we're going to be talking about a very uh, shall we say interesting film in the Bond canon. No, Roger Moore's. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to say that. It's just a piece of Roger shit. Moore's last film, A View to a Kill. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, let me tell you, of all the films that we've watched so far, this has been the most painful for me. Um, <laughs> I'll share that sentiment. Yeah. So uh, it's my <laughs> turn to give the synopsis. Of, uh, what, what's that, Rick? I was just say I'm gonna. I'm not the. I don't like the movie, but. <laughs> it's, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up coming off like oh you know a, a, a B. <laughs> Rick, <laughs> how it sounds you guys are gonna go <laughs> yeah Rick, I, it's actually it's actually my turn because I've been the the, the yeah the you've been the leader so far up right until point. now I'm the one where it's like nope 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 not having it um, you, it's you're not very, good it's you, not a good movie yeah. we I can I mean I think we all can agree at least on that it's tragic. It's yeah. tragic in some ways because there was <laughs> there were tragic. there were some there were some it's elements. Tragic. People there. died shooting this. <laughs> was that true? It's true. No, because <laughs> no, that would have been even worse. It's just not worth it. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, no, I've been I've been pretty positive on the on the film so far. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this 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 one not gonna be not gonna be that chance. Um, it's so it's my turn to give the synopsis of the of the film. And um, for a movie as haphazardly made, it's actually relatively straightforward. So Bond unfurls, sorry, no. So Bond is on the hunt for Max Zorin, who is a microchip magnet, sorry, microchip magnate, who is played by Christopher Walken at not quite his most Walken, but like about 85% walking, which is a quite a lot of walking. Um, joined by his henchwoman, Mayday, and they have a plot to sink Silicon Valley so they can take control of the microchip market. There is literally a German doctor with a monocle. That's how cliche this movie is. Uh, Roger Moore once again stars as 007 as the, in the very, his very last uh, performance in that role. He is joined by Tanya Roberts as Stacy Sutton, the least convincing ge- uh, geologist of all time. And uh, she's so pretty. She she is a, she's that's a beautiful it. woman, no question. <laughs> she's a beautiful woman, no question. Uh, but the the script and her performance don't do the character any any favors. But you know what? I'm not hard pressed to shit on her because really, no one gives a good performance in this movie. So that's I'm not. not huh? That's, I, I disagree. As much as I want to poo-poo on this movie, I, I will stand up and say uh, there are some, there are two good performances, which we will get to, friends. I'm and I'm looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, this uh, this movie was 
for lack of a better word, this movie's trash, gents. This movie is whoop. You said it. I didn't think you were going to say trash because I I even thought to myself earlier, you know, if I was just going to interrupt you in the beginning of like your synopsis and just say trash. Uh, But I, but I was, I stopped myself short early before we got into this episode because um, I don't think that um, that is very fair to trash and all the work that they put into being what, those films are and even trash can be entertaining okay th- then that- I'll, re- I'll rewind then i'll rewind <laughs> so in Wait, short you mean like you're gonna take it all over again you're gonna wait you're gonna edit out what i was saying <laughs> straight no, to the point because you know i i i, I do want to hear your point john but i think you're right i don't want to be i don't want to denigrate anybody's hard work so you don't, don't edit to, that out no, yeah, no, listen, you, you can respond to that and say, maybe I'm going a little too far saying it's trash. You know, I mean, go ahead and admit it. It's right, fine. I mean, I mean, you know what, John? Okay, so I, I'll grant you maybe that is a little too harsh. Uh, I think that's an issue with my criticism <laughs> in general. Where I'm like, <laughs> that's how bad the movie is. It's everyone's like, well, you know, they put, you know, come on. Yeah. They put in the effort. It's like, it's like you have <laughs> like, to. Like, it's like a, like a poor student. Yeah, no one, no one deserves respect. No one deserves respect for turning in C level work. I agree. And when you have like thirty million dollars to burn in 1985, you can do better. You can do better to find stunt doubles that look like a a guy in his late forties. It's hard, but you can put a mask on him or something, or make sure that the the wig fits. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> there, I, I, okay. So, uh, you know what? I'll take it back, but I will, <laughs> uh, that particular term, but I will say this is in the running for probably my least favorite Bond film and of all time, uh, like, of like all time, the whole series, of the whole series. Yes. Um, it, it's kind of like, I've got others that I think are more Ooh. offensively bad, not offensive. This is offensively. Oh my God. Tell I mean, me. Ooh, juicy. What is it? No, we'll get to them, I guess. Oh, but fuck. you know, we'll get to them. I don't know. Another day is finish not your point. And finish. I mean, finish what you're saying, and I, we're we'll get into. It. Shut up, Rick. I don't know, but it's, it's all good. I think I, <laughs> there's only so much I can say. Like, man, this movie's bad. This movie's bad. Before we get into it, so Rick, yeah. you know what? Let's just start with you. Let's. I get okay. Um, I guess for me, the movie is competent, but it's very business as usual at this point in the series competent in the sense of like, you know, they got that shot. You there know, are people, no they one ran into the camera. The no sound one, guy remembered to hit record the on the sound this guy was everyone did their job of like a functional production. Yeah. But clearly no one in front or behind the camera was inspired though. Um, there's the thing that makes me sad is like this is that running thing that occurs with these fucking Roger Moore ones where it's not all of them, but then when it happens, it's like really upsetting. It's like really good stunts get ruined by bad either music choices, editing choices, or just tonal stupidity. <laughs> or just a stupid idea. There's a there's like I mean the movie opens with a I was watching it and I thought it it opens with a, a ski chase, you know. Yeah. So they're yes. in Iceland. Strong. It opens with a dead double O agent who Bond is recovering a microchip from, which sets mm-hmm. off the whole story about microchips. Yeah. And so Russian people are chasing him and stuff. KGB or not KGB, but you know, Russian soldiers and stuff. 
and the stunts are pretty good. And like yeah. John Barry's score kicks in, and it's kind of like eh, cool Bond stuff. Is, Great you know, score, by the way. Yeah, I actually really love the score. Um, yeah, me too. And um, and then like you know through circumstances he gets on a, a, a ski jet, but then that explodes, so he takes one of the blades and he starts snowboarding with it. That's all well and good. It's just and then they start playing Beach Boys song. They play California Girls California right in the girls. middle of the sequence once and he jumps on it. And it ruins the thing. Again, there's yeah. a great Why? stunt where he literally skis over water. Oh yeah. My God. It's a great stunt. And it's a great stunt, but ruined by the music choice because yeah. now that stunt comes off like it's funny as opposed to, whoa, how neat. Well, you and know? also, I wasn't even yeah. thinking about surfing when he was snowboarding. And I think that... What does that stre- have to do with surfing? It's, it's only surfing know. for that one moment when he goes over water. It only no, I, pays I, off for that one thing that I think the director thought was funny. And which no really, one else really... Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost yeah. like a joke like anyone like would make now. It's like... You watch the sequence and some ghosts wouldn't be funny if they played California Girls. And someone like in the editing went, great idea. Oh my God. And it was like, oh no, I was, oh, Phil, I was kidding. Put yeah. it in. I don't know who Phil is, but you know. Like. <laughs> and, and the funny thing, Rick, is, is that you're so right on everything that you're saying. I mean, because there's a similar moment in Man with the Golden Gun, which we'll talk Right, about. the legendary. That's yeah. the most of, yeah, that's the worst that's one. Probably the most offensive like moment of like, way to ruin a great stunt with like an awful awful sound effect but like that moment is like the moment where that immediately took me out of the movie because it kind of felt like are you guys familiar with the nostalgia critic at all yeah okay i love his reviews and every once in a while he'll have like a moment where he's talking about a movie and he'll like put in a, a song that's so not appropriate for like comedic purposes and it kind but of he does a like, lot of things for comedic purposes that are yeah. irrelevant to what. And they're all really yeah. lame jokes in this one. Like if the movie was funny, that's the thing. that that moment, then it would be one thing. Felt like a nostalgia critic joke. Oh yeah, like a meme. It's yeah, supposed like to be a meme. meme. It's yeah. not... anything. Anything like a YouTuber review would be like. Yeah. I was like waiting for them to play California Girls, and someone <laughs> re, re- fucking edits it and puts in yeah. California Girls. Exactly. Pretty much. You know? Pretty much. And that's the thing. John Glenn is act was actually pretty. Like it's something that I wasn't I'm not used to from John Glenn because he's done up until this point two Bond films. So what made him think that this was I think it's just everyone on autopilot. They're getting the job done and they're like, that's funny. Throw that in. Well, they're also working off of what's popular at the time. And the whole film is inspired by hot topics in the news like technology was becoming it's a always been topic a staple, in the though. 80s I mean, it has but it was more upsold with like the in- induction of like simple things like for example he uses the small tape recorder at, a, at you know early on in the film and yeah. that was like a very new item on the market that people were like "Ooh, look at that really pricey like you know to us we take for granted yeah but in 1985 that was a high cost item yeah and um that and and not even i mean microchips just them having to say oh please spare us we know what a microchip is <laughs> let's let's not insult the viewers at home and then they have that stupid fucking dog thing the robot dog that oh. serves no purpose that other than to just spy on them at the end when they're having nookie so yeah. it, it's like there are all these Ooh. gratuitous like there's all these like hints that like see we're modern we know what's going on. But it's like it's not invented. It's not <laughs> yeah. like it's not done with any flair. It's just yeah. like 
It's oddly massive. Okay, bring in the robot dog. You know, <laughs> yeah, what's it, the it, meter it, say? It's it's, it's in light. Okay, it. that's a print. You know, like it's nothing imaginative about it. Like no, not at all. <laughs> I totally agree. You can see John dying laughing. <laughs> what does the meter say? Five eight. I got it open to an eight. Action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is going to be overexposed. We're going to pull it one stop. I'm too lazy to fucking pull the aperture right now. Action. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the, kind of the feel of the whole movie. And it's actually a rather, in terms of the way the movie flows, it's it's kind of convoluted. Oh, yeah. And it, it is. For money, it doesn't, it's not about microchips. It's about horses. Well, and it's about capitalism. It seems to really emphasize that Zorin is really just a venture capitalist. And what's even funnier is when he pulls all the guys all into his, um, you know, Spectre style boardroom, which is a board is floating uh, Zeppelin. The GoldenEye remake scene. Yeah, he. Um, look at everybody. Look he, at my plan. He goes here. Oh, here they're looking at his plan. He goes, he goes here. Take a look at my take a look at my model here. You know, and he, sh- he shows the model and it raises up and he's like, you like that? And he dumps the microchips on. It. He's like, we are going to destroy Silicon Valley. And, you know, you think he's speaking figuratively because not yet at any point has it been explained what his plot is. And we'll get into that. For sure. But but they wait so long on delivering what his master plan is. So to me, because the movie for a moment becomes about, is he cheating at horse racing? (laughs) For 45 (laughs) minutes of the movie. That's the whole thing. Like, I have no problem with the fact that the actual plot it isn't really revealed until that that last act. <laughs> John's having a fit, y'all. John's I can't, a- I can't, I can't wait to really get into it because because <laughs> of all the things that this film lacks, yeah. you know, on the many on the on the grocery list of problems that this film has, it yeah. like it lacks this fundamental feature that I think any basic James Bond villain has going for them, which is they have an idealism. You know, they have they have a master view of where they fit into the world and whether they're just a crook or a venture capitalist or a megalomaniacal guy trying to destroy, you know, uh, or hold hold a country for ransom or something like that with a nuclear weapon. Um, they have a bigger picture in mind about what they want. Zorn doesn't seem to want anything. Yeah. And which in and of itself isn't a problem. Like I have no problem that he could be potentially like the Joker of the Bond franchise. I'm fine with that. But the thing is supposed to be a Nazi genetic experiment and he demonstrates no traits. Well, let let, let me, let me clarify. Go go ahead. Yeah. The whole problem with the film is that it has this interesting concept of like, oh, we have a villain who's doing villainous shit for the villain for the sake of doing villainous shit, Some but does nothing with it. Horse racing. I have no. <laughs> Mi six is like we got to. Mi six is on it. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea that like he wants to blow like like a uh, like drown Silicon Valley. The fact that we don't find out about it until the end is in of itself. Yeah, yeah you're right. It's not that bad. It's like the, the reveal, movie. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but the movie doesn't inspire any curiosity. You know what I mean? Like if it was if it was a thing like what is this guy up to? I need to know what this guy is up to. There's no sense of urgency. The whole movie looks like it was shot by second unit. It It really does. Did we get the shot? All right, the boss will be happy. That's lunch. Like (laughs) that's a hundred percent the vibe, yeah. And no more is that evident than in the fight scenes because you literally have oh, like 
all these fights, <laughs> he put these very agile stunt people that could have been what in their 30s, maybe their early 40s at the latest, and they're very team. agile and confident. Always have they're in their like 20s, yeah. 30s. Yeah, yeah. 20s, they're pushing 30s. it. They don't they don't always pass for Bond. The snowboarder no, did not pass. No, the they driver. Don't. And that's the thing. No, but, in but, Paris. Then the, but then the button is Roger Moore, who's 58, and you know, is having trouble doing some of these stunts, you know, or maybe not trouble, but it's like, it's very clear. Well, uh, it's not as clean. Wait, question. question me, quick quick question. Never to me. What? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt you, but do you think he got stunt pay for when he had to do the gun blast at the camera for the beginning of the movie? Because it looked like he struggled with that. The what? You know, when he had to fire at the skull, oh, he, he hurt his hip. <laughs> I don't know. He looked super stiff when he did it. And I was like, I, gets... to be fair, I like Roger Moore, but I don't think he ever was the best looking action bond. Well, he's not very physical. And I think we can all agree on that. He always looked a little goofy and he was, always, he always did this thing. I go, whenever I've talked about him with friends, it's like he does the, ooh, ooh, whenever he's been hit. Oh, he's and like, even ooh, just ooh. when someone is talking and he has to have some sort of realization, like he does this thing with his face when someone says something to, to feel, to look compelled where he like, he turns yeah. and, and looks and he goes like, he looks like confused. And oh, he he's does a, a sort of Shatner I mean, he's mug. He's a mugger, but yeah. I, I like him. <clears throat> I mean, I think let's talk fine. about them. Let's he's talk fine about in him. the movie. Well, I wanted to clarify for people listening. Like, yeah, I, the movie I, I starts with that microchip thing, and then it goes into they they find out where the microchip is from. It was built by this company. In you're talking uh, about from the pre-credit sequence. From the pre-credit sequence. Yeah, yeah like he recovers. After that, after yeah. that he goes. He, the typical he escapes. Meeting. He escapes in a a submarine a glacier. <laughs> Ice looks, that looks like a rock. Yeah, it's, a, it's an iceberg. It's a fake iceberg. It just looks like a floating rock. It's so it dumb. looks stupid, is what it looks. Yeah, it does not look good. No. <laughs> it looks not good. <laughs> where do they poopee? Because you saw the canopy in there with the little room that they're, they're going to make love for five days. He's picked up by a a no hot shower. blonde who has got like cle- cleavage showing and shit. <laughs> I mean, but that's the least of the bond. That's bond shit. Like that's it's the fine. least of yeah, exactly. It's fine. That's not really the 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 crime. Yeah. It's it um but it goes from there to like the typical meeting with M played by Robert Brown now cuz uh, Bernard Lee passed, right? Like, yeah, he um and it's him and another guy. I forgot about that yeah. other guy that would be like like it would be M and then this other guy all the time. Yeah. I I I I tip it. Get exactly not tip it. No, not uh, the uh, it's like another one. He's like always giving Bond shit. Yeah, um, he's just like like fuck you, guy. Like <laughs> what's your name again? <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> like, fuck you. That's my name. But um I think Bernard Lee passed after Moonraker. They didn't recast for For Your Eyes Only. So this is uh Robert Brown's second appearance as M, but I think it's his third appearance as in the Bond overall because he played Admiral Hargreaves, I think his character name is in Spy Who Loves. No, but there's another guy with M who's Robert yeah, yeah, Brown. Yeah, I, I know. You know what? I'm, well, I'm going to look that up because I can't. Yeah, so let me know. And again, so anyway, it's it's you know the typical setup. Oh, the microchip came from this, and it might have been actually manufactured by Zorin Industries. We know the Russians are into it. And oh, where's Zorin? He's at the ra- he's at a horse race. Okay, let's go. And they go to wait, a wait. horse race in England. Wait, 
before you go any further, and I do not want to ruin your pacing, you're missing. Um, but you're doing it. You're missing a vital point about the microchip that never pays off, and in that it is totally not vital like at all. Like they're replic. The Russians are replicating the chip, right? Not that. only that, but the the chip can withstand an electromagnetic pulse. Which, right. when I remember them explaining it, James let, Bond is actually the one who explains to us. Let's not do that. Let's have a flood. Yeah, <laughs> it literally does not amount to anything because no, as well, a competitor- there's a lot of that in the movie. I mean, Zorn's character doesn't amount. He's a genetically engineered from a Nazi scientist. What everyone's head goes, what does that mean? You know, like a fucking Nazi doing experiments on human beings. What is he capable of? Is he super smart? Is he super strong? Nope. He's just charming. He's <laughs> you know, just like- blonde and Brooklyn. He's just blonde and he loves to move a gun around. He waves a gun around like the yeah. guys in Plan 9 from Andrew Space, Christopher Walken. It's so funny. He's great. He's like, he like it becomes an extension of his arm movements. And at one point, <laughs> he like points at his head the way Christopher Walken does when he's like, think about it. You know, like he'll do like a finger to the forehead and pop it out. He does that with the gun. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to knock him. I was like, oh, fuck it. At least it's entertaining. Yeah. You know, he's <laughs> just like, you're going to I know be exactly bad, what you're talking but- about. Yeah. So, Man. Rick, to answer your question very quickly, he plays the Minister of Defense. Okay. He, yeah, the actor's yeah. name is Jeffrey Keen, and the character he plays is Frederick Gray. Yeah, and he becomes like it's never just M anymore. It's like yeah, that guy and M yeah. always giving Bond the assignment. I think yeah. from all the way to License to Kill. Yeah. Um. It, it's, but um. Yeah, no, up until License to Kill. Those, that was the last appearance for both those characters. So, yeah, they don't. They, so that whole thing with the microchip, but then they find out Zorn's in London. So they go to a horse race. They get introduced to uh, Zorn. With that again, I'm going to introduce their spot. They're kind of watching him with binoculars and stuff, also betting. They're still debriefing him, and every go, everybody goes out into the field with James Bond to scope him out. It is not discreet. Everyone we all. mentioned and Money Penny. Everybody. Everybody and, from the and, office. And, Louis, and Louise is Maxwell's last performance. And they're not even done debriefing James Bond. They're still debriefing him while he's out there and explain to him then that he was a Nazi engineered experiment. It's, and then, it's totally and, ridiculous. And they, and they introduce Mayday, who's played by the force of nature, Grace Jones, in a really... Yes. Cool, oh, my fucking God. Cool outfit. Yeah, she's, she's, a, she's a good of part movie. of the movie. But, awesome. but then the, the, the what I'm trying to get at is that Zorn's horse wins the race. Their horses don't win the race, but then they see the horse is kind of acting crazy when yeah. they're giving Zorn and Mayday the trophy. And oh yeah, by the way, yeah, there's a horse trainer named Tibbet who becomes the friend of Bond, but he's also an MI6 agent, a horse trainer. But okay, for MI6. <laughs> what what I said. For the MI6 equestrian department, right? <laughs> Clearly. Right. Clearly. A lot, of, uh, a lot of terrorists hang out at the horse races. Uh, yeah. Mr. Bond. Who, who, by the way, is played by Patrick McNee, who's one of three actors from the much-beloved Avengers TV series. Right. And he was actually a friend of Roger Moore's or something, like because they would work at yeah. the same studios and stuff when yeah. Moore was on The Saint and McNee was, McNee's pretty good. I mean, it's, 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 it's okay. It's just the setup is stupid that he's a horse oh, trainer yeah. who's also a MI6 agent. It's just like, okay, I'll go along with that, I guess. And, but then what, what I was trying to get at is that then you see the horse acting up and they're like, what's with that horse? Maybe it won on suspicious uh, consumption, AKA steroids injection. And then they spend the movie, they spend 40 minutes of the movie investigating that. 
He pretends to be St. John Smy. St. John Smy? No, St. John Smy. They repeat that like 50 times. That joke. It's like, what, St. John Smy? No, St. John Smy. It's like, I fucking got it. It's James Bond. Just say your name. Who cares at this point? And like, he, it's, what is it? It's on Zorin's property. So yeah. a, little, a little bit of background. It's Zorin's mansion, but that backstory that he gives where he bought it from a duke who, who thought that he was going to be reincarnated as a horse, that is real. Because yeah. like... Okay. They, yeah, which is they glaze cool. over it so quickly. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even become a center of the conversation in any manner. Nothing. They they pan away, and it's just like, um, yeah. I, I, also, good a time as any to bring up like how awful the ADR is on this film. Oh, dude, the foley work alone in one of the fight scenes. Oh, but no, are, are, the, the one where they're where they actually get they they throw the guy in the box with and it gets wrapped up. That one. Oh yeah. Uh, oh sure. That's terrible. And then the scene later when he and Tanya Roberts up. get into the, they get into the fight, the fist fight with the guys in like the foyer, and he's like trying not to break this vase, and you're like, why do we not want to break the vase? And then yeah. Tanya Roberts breaks. Oh, the we forgot vase. about Paris. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean we're we're talking about just stupid sound shit now, but yeah, we have a whole plot to cover. Uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we got the synopsis. We're we're just jump we're just jumping around at this point. I know. Well, but, after but, the horse race, he goes to Paris because there's another French detective who's investigating Zorin's possible, yeah, you know, rigging of races. But then, and uh-huh. it's at a it's at like a, a fucking lounge with this lady whistling to butterflies. It's on, in the Eiffel Tower. In yeah. the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, and she's yes. whistling. She's like. As you oh know, people are, you know, these like stage hands are like pretending to like, you know, rustle these butterflies and make them fly and stuff. And then an assassin, Grace Jones, Grace Jones, punches one of them in view of everyone. Yeah. To the point that the singer sees it. They cut to the singer being like, what's going on over there? I think even Bond season is just kind of like, well, let me see how <laughs> this doesn't do out. anything. I was like, did he see it? What the hell is that cut? Like you couldn't even do it like incognito. Like, well, the no French detective is assassinated by one with, of the with butterflies. a butterfly that obviously has been poisoned or something like like my whole thing is like why couldn't it just been grace jones the whole time i don't know and but it leads to a good stunt which is someone grace jones's character jumping off the eiffel tower yeah good stunt awesome because it's real they she fucking you know jump, leaps off obviously it's a stuntman but who cares like and you know pulls out the balloon and uh, bond has to go all the way down and he takes a car from a taxi from a French driver because mm-hmm. they're in Paris who's drinking wine because he's French, I guess. Why? But then this is the thing like he's chasing her as she's kind of, you know, got her parachute out and she's, you know, guiding, a, you know, trying to land. And he's like basically chasing her in the car on ground on the ground. Yeah. But then they proceed to do a lot of bits where it's just stupid. Oh, yeah. And excessive. Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's not exciting enough that like you have to avoid people. Don't hit people with your car. Yeah. But then it's like, the roof comes off. Well, he has to like drive down some stairs and then he Which is to, fine, like, but they goof it up by him driving backwards and sliding. Yeah. As opposed to like avoid the people. That's tense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it, it constant there it's a common problem with this movie. Constant constantly undercuts any sense of tension that right. goes with a joke, which is one of my biggest problems with Spectre as well. 
You know, like that scene, that 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 chase scene in Rome should have been an awesome chase scene, but it keeps it kept getting undercut. And I think that in a microcosm, like, is the Roger Moore canon, specifically this movie. Well, with um, Spectre, it's like to me, it's because that chasing is so like, like it's so over pumped up that then when there is a little moment of comedy, you're like, huh? I thought this was the end of the world. You yeah, know? It's a little, yeah, 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 it's a little more disorienting. Um, yeah, this is more like Han's yeah. in a car and he's chasing. Yeah, it's very casual. Okay. It's very now, casual. Now half of the car's gone. He's still driving. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's like, what the fuck? There's also literally a moment where as Bond is jumps onto the boat to chase Mayday, he falls through the glass roof onto the wedding cake of the wedding that's going on. Oh, it's the dumbest stunt. Boat. And it looks <laughs> so clear at the dummy. It yeah. looks like something out of like the Chappelle that's show, me, whatever they clearly fine. That to me is okay. I mean, it's then Mayday like gets off that boat and is gets on a yeah. speedboat with which Walken's character is driving. Yeah. What I think is goofy is more <laughs> sees her get away, and then the the cake makers have butcher knives and they detain him. Like they grab him, like you're coming with us. Like it's so weird. Yeah, outsmarted like, by the Bond doesn't just like slam them up against the window. Like don't fucking no. touch me. No, Baker's just like, are... oh, no. Yeah, yeah. He's like the uh, chef that tried to kill Sebastian and Little Mermaid. Like yeah, Bond, it's really stupid. Bond has the license to kill, um, yeah. but the Bakers though they're uh, they're a whole other. They're uh, they're like yeah. They're like a subsect. Like there's a bylaw about him and Bakers. It's a really complicated bylaw. I can't get his it. dad was a his yeah, dad was a baker. License to, <laughs> um, License to eat. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but one quick funny behind the scenes story of that stunt that Rick talked about. <laughs> so apparently, um, they were kind of having issues with uh, like the French government. They were kind of being pains in the asses, uh, letting them do the kind of stunts they needed to do. Um, but they finally made the deal to do two jumps for the sake of the cameras. You know, uh, BJ BJ Worth, I think, was the stunt man who ultimately did the stunt that ended up on film. And then mm. his second go-to guy was supposed to. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, Sinjin Smy. Its name is Sinjin Smy. <laughs> That's why they named this fucking movie. Uh, hold on, I'm gonna see if I can find it because Jesus Christ, you're talking look. about the jump from the Eiffel Tower, right? Not yeah, the, the jump, stupid jump yeah, into exactly. the boat, jump, into the, the jump from the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Well, uh, they they uh, jumped, they jumped before they test jumped without authorization from production, which almost jeopardized the rest of the shoot. Not quite, not not quite, almost, but not quite. What happened was there was already tension. <laughs> almost, John, but not quite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you foolish piece of nobody, shit. Nobody, nobody from the production tested that jump. What happened is that two adventurers. On their of their own accord, did the jump beforehand, jeopardizing what the production wanted to do because they didn't want to inspire copycats. No, no, no. I I researched this as well, and what I yeah. learned was it was that it was stuntmen. Don't don't go, don't go trying to correct me. No, well, John, I heard it from the stuntman's mouth that he almost get got fired for John, jumping without I'm, cameras. John, running. I'm getting to it. Let me finish. Like oh I'm getting gosh. to it. Oh I know God. what I'm talking about. Like it's tearing me apart. So, so here's the, so here's the thing. There were two separate adventures that tr that did the jump, putting the production in jeopardy. 
what happened was is after they figured it out, they 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 decided, okay, we're gonna we we figured it out. We're going, we've been worked it out with the French government. There will be two jumps. BJ Worth and another stuntman, Don Calvert, were gonna do the jumps. BJ Worth went first, did the jump, and it worked beautifully. So Cubby Broccoli was like, you know what? We got it in the can. We don't want to fuck things up more or worse with the French government. We're just going to do the one take. Don and another stuntman who was the third in line, Don Calvet, after they had it in the can, after they actually finished the stunt and had it put away, ready to go, they went early the next morning to do the jump, thinking that they could get away with it because they weren't going to be, they weren't be caught by production. What they didn't anticipate was when they went up there, production was already up there getting ready for the next couple of shots in the Eiffel Tower. So they did the jump. That's when the unauthorized jump happened after the fact. And they got fired. And that did cause problems for other stunt work that they needed to do. So it caused problems for like the car chase. It caused problems for the rest of the boat chase. So you're half right, John. It was just the the timeline was a, a little bit off. So it was like it, it was it was jeopardized because there were folks who jumped off the Eiffel Bridge that had nothing to do with the production. It made things tense. They figured it out, got the stunt, and then Don Don Cal, Calvet and they even interview him on the behind the scenes documentary about it. And they fired as soon as he landed, they fired him on the spot. And he was never brought back for a Bond film after that. And he did cause a lot of problems for the production. Um, so, yeah, that was that's so the lesson here is don't jump off the Eiffel Tower authorized or unauthorized unless you're part of a Bond film. And they and they say it's OK. And Cubby Broccoli says it's OK for you to do so. Yeah. And unless you have your, your parachute on that, all well, that to kill awesome. a guy with a fly dart. Who they could have just shot in a corner of a street. Yeah. But let's jump off the Eiffel Tower. But that's James Bond, so yeah. I shouldn't criticize too much. Yeah. Well, so I mean, they- it, I think part of what makes the Bond movies exciting, though, about when these assassinations are done or when these escapes are made is that they should be clever and have a level of practicality to them to where, like, you're like, not, you're like, oh, I can understand why someone would do that. Because it's a great and daring escape. <laughs> and and daring uh, yeah, yeah. there's always, I mean, not always, but when there's an outlandish quality, that doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. No, like James Bond in a duck hat swimming underwater is silly, but it's not impractical in some ways. It's covert. It's a funny it's gag because it's just like, look at that duck. Yeah, that's not a duck. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it's funny only Jesus to us. Christ, Sean Connery's but... head is a duck. <laughs> MI6 is sending mutants. <laughs> MI6 is experimenting. <laughs> I'd like to get a little okay. bit more of the plot or the movie in. So I'll talk okay. about sure. that with John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can break that down. Yeah, go, yeah, go for so, it. So, yeah. So it goes from after that then to the... Uh, now he now Zorn is holding a race auction. There's a lot of horse stuff. Too much horse stuff. Too much just to investigate these microchips. I think some of that is because they're trying to set up Zorin as very like menacing and nefarious. But they don't character. have a good scene. That's what's missing is when Bond gets there and he's undercover with with Tippett, the horse trainer 
slash MI6 agent. And he's posing is, as like his handler. As like, his handler, his his servant, you know, and there's like little gags, which are fine. You're like, oh, come on, Tibbet, hurry up with the suitcase. And Tibbet's out of shape. He's yeah. carrying this luggage. It's too heavy. You know, they good chemistry, stuff. too. And they are they're nice together. They are. Yeah. Um, but. You know, and it's the typical kind of thing like we got to be clandestine, we got to get this info. But you know, Zorn's kind of onto him because Mate is like, I've seen him somewhere, you know. And we get an intro to a pretty blonde girl played by Tony Roberts, who turns out to be what the hell is her name in this? Daisy Sutton, Miss Geology yeah, herself. We're gonna learn is the granddaughter of an oil business guy who Zorn, I guess, like bought the company out from under. Took over the company in, in nefarious ways, probably. Yeah. Well, he pays her off so that. But she doesn't take them. She doesn't. She never cashes the check. That's right. She That's... tears it up after eating an, a quiche with James. <laughs> he makes. It's an omelet. He has to and explain to her what eggs are. She's like, what is it? All I do is look at rocks all day. I don't know what food is. I've never used my oven. Um, oh my god, that thing is scary. What is that? I have oh. eggs. <laughs> You've got leftover Chinese from two years ago. Um, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, but uh, the when he's at Zorin's, I didn't, mean, I didn't home, mean to sound like Bane. <laughs> you should check your fridge. Enjoy the quiche. Is that what Please. Bane is? Like part Goldfinger, part Roger Moore? Is that what Tom Hardy was doing? Maybe that's what it is. It's just a <laughs> a modulated Roger Moore. You'll have to imagine the file. I yeah. think that's all it is. It's just dialed down and proper filter. That's all it is. I was born in the dark. <laughs> Mayday. Name's John Smithney. <laughs> right. You can call me James. Spoken under a rag under a metal face. Right. You can call me James St. John. St. John Smy? St. John Smy. Oh, God. And so, <laughs> you know, it's the typical, like, but it's 40 minutes. It's a long. I mean, you're, I don't have that exact you're number. You're right, though. You're right, though, pointing out that, like, he gets to Zorin's. He literally meets Zorin. And we were, t- we were Classic, talking about traditional like, thing. There's a full on, like, you know, uh, keep your cards close to your chest type encounter between him and the, the villain. And they both know who each other are. Even Zorin isn't too sure who he is yet, but he's like, you see, you like, go fishing, fly casting. Ah, yeah. So it's just it, not even clever or just move right on. He, like, that's the a tradition. Way- the bond, him and Bond and the villains always do like a, a punny. You know whose gun is bigger? Yeah, there's a little lancing that goes on, like a, right. There's a spar, literally, in Die Another Day, but we'll get yeah. to that one. one there's day. a there's always a verbal spar to introduce and create right. some tension between the hero it's macho, and the macho bullshit. It is macho bullshit. And the funny thing about this one is, um, Zorin drops that backstory about the place being like a horse stable for a duke who thought he was going to be reincarnated as a horse, you and he's not even like looking at him when he talks about it. He's just like looking off camera. And um, then when he's done talking to him, he's just like, all right, well, you know, enjoy the women. I'm sure they'll stimulate you. And he leaves. He's not really interested in Bond. No, he doesn't look at him as a, as a problem yet. Um, but then uh, that's, but Mayday is suspicious of him uh, early on. Um, right. And yeah, him and Tippett find, they go, they find like a secret hideout, secret lab. And so it's, it's a horse lab. It's, yeah, it's literally like a giant slab for yeah. horses. 
the Nazi doctor that we talked about. It's not revealed that he's a Nazi yet, but yeah, yeah. he's got a but monocle. He's a thorough he's reader. Like, Come on, hold, girl. Yes, yeah, fine. It's like clearly. Well, he meets jerk. him at the party. He meets him at the party. Right, he introduces him around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and at that time he's also uh, Smy. <laughs> he's taking he's taking little photos with like a camera ring that he has on. That I liked. Yeah, mm-hmm. the gadgets are not many in this film, but it, they're mostly demonstrated uh, in the early part of the film. Because he never, it's well, not like he gets a report. The sharper image card that he uses to unlock Stacy's window later in yeah, the movie. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> I mean that that it, there's no uh, there's no charming cue scene to set up all the gadgets that he goes equipped with out in the field. They just talk about the stupid dog and move right on into what the fucking movie. No, is about. Q just goes with them to horse race. <laughs> <laughs> you bet on this. <laughs> it's, like it's like an office. They were all there the just to day. place a bet. They were all just there to be like, it's like a get we... out of the office. Cor- you know, corporate fun field day. Trip. It's a field trip. Like, hey, money penny, you work too hard. Let's go horse race. <laughs> no, there's no danger. <laughs> Are you kidding? We're all going. But James, you're still on the job. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. My day off. Come on. <laughs> I wanted to bet. Yeah. Um, Keep this leash on money penny and just follow us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh we, we haven't even gotten past the part that, like, um, you know, of course he meets this doctor who's supposed to have been a thoroughbreeder for um, right. for Zorin. And he says to him, you know, how do you, George, James Bond baits him and says, you know, how do you know how to breed weaker breeds right. of uh, horses to be stronger or more, uh, you know, uh, into into better stallions? And he says, I look at the breeding process not too dissimilar from how you would condition human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, something along those lines. Mein Führer! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're automatically like, Interesting. <laughs> What's that Nazi tattoo with on your that Nazi connection, by the way. Yeah, um, I thought it was that was the one angle on the movie that I was interested in. But then well, he's like, "You think it's gonna go?" I mean, you can see from a mile away it's Zoran is bred, but it's like, what is he capable of? But the 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 the, the problem really is that the Nazi doctor doesn't even end up being the real hand behind the operation, which should have been the grand reveal was that Zorn was a front for this guy There's and no that he's real pulling scene. the strings. Yeah. There's no scene with the doctor and, and they clearly like love each other because they're like patting each other on the face and stuff at the end. Yeah, he's his creation is how he looked, needed to the they needed a scene of that of like. Oh, when when you're my son, I you know at the end of the the film, you know when Zorin takes his fall, there's that compassion that's shown. They cut to him for reaction, but he doesn't he doesn't even say my boy. He doesn't even say anything like that. They miss their opportunity. Look at this comes from my boy. I like walking in that moment because he like starts laughing. He's like, I can't believe it. I'm about to die. Like I think it's kind of fun. (laughs) He's like, hey, wait. I was told this doesn't happen to people like me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's actually a fun moment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. All right. I, we're, thought, we're white pri- I thought white privilege would get me out of this. <laughs> we, we're losing a thread. The, the, the Nazi doctor is there to help him breed stronger stallions with the use of microchip technology, it turns out. And not Which is just what Tippett and Bond discover in the lab. Yeah. They right. discover that in the lab and they realize, oh, He's using microchip technology to alter the genetics of this horse. Through the injection, through uh, a whipping stick or a cane. Yeah. And you're like, interesting. Where is this going to go? 
And you think that maybe that's connected to something that's going on with Zorn directly because he's a genetic creation. It turns out he's like a little Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet somehow he's really the main guy of the movie, the main villain. That would have been fine if it was like the two of them. I mean, like if Zorn lived up to that idea of like a genetically enhanced or genetically manipulated person, because I'm like, is he super fucking smart? Like he's just going to outsmart them. He's supposed to be a, a ubermensch prototype but for they the never display or do anything with that ever. doesn't get ever. used it's he's it's, just a greedy guy it's a missed opportunity from so many sides it, it is it's a testament to christopher walken's performance though that he's still regarded as one of the more memorable bond villains oh he's christopher walken it's just 100 yeah. his charisma i mean it's just unavoidably for fun sure. to watch because it's like yeah, when he's like he's investigating Bond on the computer, and he's like, he's asking, oh, oh, he sees license to kill, gonna kill you, has a knife, you know, all these things. Look out! <laughs> Look out! I mean, the thing, but the thing about it, the real tragedy of that character is not there are Bond villains that are just boring, and it's like they yeah. they never took off. They they never went that run after yeah Moonraker, which I don't like, but at least everyone remembers Hugo Drax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know everybody remembers Drax, but like, who the fuck remembers the villain from For Your Eyes Only? You know what I mean, like uh, Christados. But like, <laughs> but like, I mean, that's I, a good I, actor too, Julian yeah. Glover. Yeah, but Julian you remember Glover. everyone remembers him from Last Crusade. Yeah, Duh. I think he's also the only actor to have been in a Bond film, a Star Wars film, and a Indiana Jones film. And Troy. Oh, sorry. If I can sort of just add to this discussion i think um when especially we're oh sorry uh my name is john and come on uh, in here uh oh thank you wipe your feet Mm, i i wanted to just uh posit this this theory about the uh performances in this movie which we brought up very early on and we're obviously still harping on like you know christopher walken's good in this movie despite not having a lot to work with Mm mm-hmm and um because he's like good check yeah exactly good check uh, cleared i'll be there monday <laughs> totally <laughs> what i'm french well i got the accent down no well problem. they literally give him the excuse he's like no accent when he's debriefing him on who zorin is they're like no accent and then like that's totally walking being like i'm not doing that um <laughs> no i'm from brooklyn <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and 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 i was watching it almost thinking like you know i like walking in this role and he brings so much charisma to it but for what the character needs to be and it yeah. fitting into this whole canon of the sort of like lineage and style that the movies have held with the villains i was like they should have gotten jean-pierre belmondo who would have been an excellent foil to someone like roger moore as james bond because jean-pierre belmondo had done 60s and 70s style spy stuff that was inspired by the James Bond series. You can ask anyone, it doesn't fix the fact that the script doesn't do anything. No, but I'm saying he's French. And for fuck's sake, (laughs) if he's supposed to be French. I mean, well, they tried to get David Bowie first and then Sting. They wanted David Bowie. I think he he backed out. I forget exactly why. But that idea in of itself is great. So I'm not... Don't you like my horses, Mr. Bond? (laughs) (laughs) Take you on a journey. You've got a license to kill. 
<laughs> if he was in the movie and did the theme song, the movie would have been ten times better. That's just a view. I don't know. I don't care. I don't want to postulate. The view to a kill. <laughs> I can so I can hear it right now in my fucking brain. It would have been better than doing you. Bullshit. You. Are you maybe, kidding me? Maybe, maybe, but maybe, maybe no, not knocking absolutely. Duran Duran song. It, David it, Bowie. Just, look, I can get close oh, to the mic okay, guys, too. Let's, let's, bring, let's bring it back to Zorin. Let's bring it back to the character. We'll talk about the song at, at some point. Which what a name. Zorin. We're going to talk about Zorin. Let's talk about the man who fell to Earth and should have played Zorin. But fine. Yeah. Well, let's Zorin. Zorin. <laughs> I mean, as a genetic experiment, the way his eyes are pigmented differently in both eyes just would have worked really cool on a visual level. But continue. I mean, you're right. But if the guy didn't want to do it, it's you know it's, then you give christopher walken a separate contact lens for one of his eyes and give him something to look at i mean but that but or not or just this, write the is, where, this is where i disagree with you this is my disagreement with you because i don't hate any of your ideas in of themselves <laughs> where i disagree with you is that i think it's almost coming off like walking is the problem and i 100 percent agree with rick at the end no, of the day John the script was i the, did i liked him yeah, I know you like them, but it's but the script, none of those things address the problems with the script. Oh, and yeah. the reason Zorin and Christopher Walken as Zorin is as name. frustrating as Sorry. it is, because like I was saying, what I was saying before is that there are a lot of villains that just never, you know, they, they never took off. They're they're boring. They never had a chance. Sure. The thing about Christopher Walken as Max Zorin is that there were things in the character's backstory that could have made for such a great villain. And especially when you add Christopher Walken into that mix and thank God for Christopher Walken, because it's the only reason that that character is interesting at all. And that, and, and that's almost to me more frustrating than a villain. That's just dead on arrival. Like if if a villain didn't have a shot at being a good villain, then, you know, it sucks, it's terrible, but it's like, it is what it is. When there's on the page potential for greatness and it's squandered, that almost pisses me off more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm literally of the same mindset because yeah. um, I got so bored with how abandoned most of Walken's storyline got with how the, the movie took off and when he goes yeah. and saves Tanya Roberts from the burning building, like near the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was like, it's a plot heavy movie. I really was okay if the movie ended right when he got her down from the ladder from the burning <laughs> building, and we didn't see what happened by the end with Zorn or any of that. I would have been that like, reminds me of the end of the Saint. Does anyone remember that movie? Yeah, <laughs> no, I haven't seen. <laughs> where it kind of just ends, like there's no end battle fight or anything. It's just like he gets. I mean, without getting into it, he kind of like gets the guy who's going to cold fusion something. I don't know. And like, then it turns on and they just arrest the bad guys. It's like so unexciting. That's what that sounds like with that ending. Uh, I mean, like yeah. he gets down the ladder and it's just like, we found Zorin 10 blocks away. We've arrested him all but as the well. Thing is that I Fade don't, to black. Yeah. And I don't, but the thing is I don't fucking blame John for that because I almost got the sense that they didn't give a shit about giving the, the ending any tension either because they're like, okay, now we have a clear objective. We know that what he's up to. We know that he's going to try to sink Silicon Valley, I think, at this point. To be honest, I don't quite remember. But No, like, they reveal that once they track down 
Because all right, uh, well, we got to. That's what I mean. Like this has to like get broken down because it's like he gets caught at his estate with because he's been. Uh, but on top of that, he s- sneaks into bed and what is it? Zorn and Mayday Ninja uh, practice karate together, and they're which shows that they're having a physical affair, and they realize oh the lab's been broken into, and but then Roger Bond like pretends like oh mayday i've been waiting for you and zorn gives her the okay like yes yeah, sleep with him for no real reason she doesn't get any info other than to set up the next morning's line where zorn is like yeah this guy's all fishy and he gets all the info about he needs from the from about bond in three seconds on his computer but i think the whole thing for sleeping with mayday is just to set up the line is like oh how'd you sleep and i wrote this down and bond says a little restless but i got off eventually I remember that. Yeah, well, this, like I think that's the only reason why they have him sleep with Mayday. There's like no real other reason. She doesn't get any info. She doesn't come back being like he's James Bond. They could have just killed him with no serious consequences. She in their realizes way. she remembers him from Paris before she yeah. sleeps with him. That's right. Yeah. But he they does. just become suspicious what it is that he wants, so they can figure out who's behind. But she doesn't figure him. that out for him. No, but she, she's there to keep him in place and keep him in line. I mean, it, you're saying it doesn't really amount to much, but in some ways they're setting him up so they can get the information they need from him before they kill him. I guess they I do would like to connect to tissue of that other than yeah. he just types it in a computer. Uh, well, don't you know how computers work? But, but the microchips, the, you mean. But the thing yeah. is that logically you're right, John, but th- again, it's not given any urgency. No. And Rick's right. We haven't quite figured out what the plot is, but we have or what his ultimate goal is, but we have figured out that that's where Zorn is going to go. So there's supposedly an ed- ed- a sense of urgency to get there, but it's undercut because, again, you're doing that thing where, oh, they're in this cool chase with the with the, the fr- San Francisco police and you're in a fire truck, but you're constantly doing stuff like, whoa. It feels see? like and then and then and then exactly. and then and then. Yeah. Instead of because it's. And then, yeah, therefore, you know. well, and I, I even was thinking to myself while we were just having this discussion that I you could say that this movie has two parts. I definitely look at it as two holes. And it's really a problem because it's it. The film's script definitely is a pastiche yeah. of several Bond stories from Ian Fleming's writing and not just from A View to a Kill. Uh, sure. It's it borrows things from other short stories and in that way, the whole like sinking, uh, you know, blowing up the San Andreas Fault ultimately becomes Zorin's ultimate scheme. So he can wipe out Silicon Valley in yeah. order to control and monopolize this, the the microchip microchips. Market. Right, Someone that becomes his big Superman. plan, which doesn't have anything to do with him being smarter, stronger, well, and nothing to do with horses. <laughs> nothing. That's so, literally a sidestep because we end up revealing. Yeah, it ends up getting revealed that he is a KGB agent. That's right. Uh, Gogol shows up mm-hmm. from France. Be like, we don't like your extracurricular horse activity. It's you know, he's just like, you know, fuck you. I don't work for you anymore. You know, but we do get an intro. Uh, the cinema <laughs> is introduced uh, to Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. That was gold. a good year for him, wasn't that? That's the year that yeah, he was four, right. He was dating Grace Jones. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was a damn yeah. good year for him. And um, then and they look at each other. She's like, "Baby." Well, I don't know, with her <laughs> eyes, she doesn't say that exactly. Um, wasn't 
Allison Duty's also introduced in this movie. Yes, she plays Jenny yeah. Flex. Yeah, who goes on to be in Indy Elsa. Four? Uh, sorry, Indy, he goes on to be in Elsa in Indiana Jones: and The Last Crusade. Give me your hand, honey. I can't hold you. But I've been raised in Indy. Elsa, give me. Can we just talk about Last Crusade? I'm fine with that. Can we? Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about a good? All right, we're moving on with the story, right? And that's generally the way it feels as we're watching it. We're moving on with the story. Yeah. And And that's the thing. We we usually don't structure the episodes this, but it feels appropriate for this movie because it's like, we have to break down the... The, all the terrible decisions they killed Tibbet. along the way. Did we mention that? Yeah. No, we hadn't gotten to that point. There, there's the point at which, of <laughs> course, um, the next morning after Grace Jones sleeps with Bond and and keeps him in line for Zorin to extract that information out of who, what his identity is, who would have potentially sent him to maybe kill him or get something from him or find something in the lab. Kind he of puts it together. for my horses. I know it. <laughs> yeah. Should have had a scene like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because he gets confronted um, by KGB earlier yeah. on, and they're like, you've never left. No one ever leaves the KGB. Yeah. And Mayday picks up a guy that, it, like, you're nothing but a lab experiment. Yeah, and so Mayday the KGB picks is, up. Mayday shows she's super strong in that scene. The KGB Wait. are yeah. mad at him for one, if not two, or one of two re- reasons. If I'm oh mistaken. no! They show up later. Now right. I'm remembering. Right, but they but they're angry at him not because of the microchip thing, not because of the horse thing, but they just don't like that he's not part of the KGB or asking for well, permission to do things. Right, which yeah. is and this is the scene that happens before, which is bullshit. It's just bullshit. They just don't like him because he's not. Well, Bond gets caught because he's talking to. Zorin in his office, right. which is the scene where the villain and hero should really get to know each other and size each other up. Yeah. But instead, he looks at a computer next to him as he's like, Oh, uh, look at this horse here. I think it'd be very interested. Stamina or speed. And but what he's really typing in, it's like this guy is James Bond, British intelligence, has license to kill. Beware. And he's like, Oh, hey, oh scary scary <laughs> and he starts dancing yeah i wish i had more than just expensive baubles baubles yeah it's just you can and, do and then they have a horse race for no reason to kill him while he's riding yeah. a horse yeah they set him up basically and uh you see this um triggering mechanism the zoran At loads play, into finally, his right. yeah he loads it into his crop and they they find when they're in the lab, they find an injectable uh, microchip that they, I guess, had planted into the horse earlier on in yeah, the like, film. Yes, and sir. they learn is it's just like a bionic microchip that'll stimulate the horse to just go haywire and just muscle through and be crazy or this be good. Like Roger Corman, like we have an estate with horses. This feels like a Corman thing. Like, let's use that. Yeah. Basically, like, why are we spending so much time in this place? Get out of there! Very expensive location. If we don't see some sides of it, Mr. Broccoli is going to be very upset with us. <laughs> Which is, by the way, that's his Rolls Royce and his Rolls Royce. It is his Rolls Royce, and it is a nice Rolls Royce. He was very personally invested in this film for some reason. I, well, I think it, had, it probably has something to do because he actually had a, ended up having a really good relationship with Roger Moore. And they made like a, made for a very good team. I mean, 
the relationship with Sean Connery soured towards the end of his run. You know, Roger Moore was the bond that Broccoli ended up partnering with when he went on his own as a sole producer of the movies. So, you know, that's I'm all still, well and good, you know. Yeah. So, I'm, uh, so I, I, I can't imagine that. And Cubby Broccoli for having the, the, being the kind of per, uh, guy that he was for the, with the reputation that he had. Um, I'm sure that he wanted it to make sure that this was the best film for Roger Moore to go out on. Did he Whoops. succeed? <laughs> Whoops. But, but I, you know, they, they, to quote John Hammond, they spared no expense. The thing is, like, they Bond sends Tibbet out to go tell MI6 what's going on, right? Yeah. And he says, and he's like, but well, why am I telling? What am I? What? What's my excuse? He's like, you have to wash the car. And there's a little bit because that's what Tibbet was doing was washing the car. Yeah. But then he literally does go to get the car washed. Yeah. First, instead of going to tell MI6 what's going on. Yeah, what an unreliable! First. What an unreliable spy! He should just gone to MI six in a dirty car, in and fairness. then come back and wash it. Yeah, in in or fairness. tell the MI six like, hey, get someone to wash that car while we talk about what's going on, because time is of the essence. In fairness, though, <laughs> he it. was getting followed by Zorin's hench people, but he doesn't know that. No, he does. He, sees he does. Jenny, okay, yeah, and he I sees missed that. Jenny Flex, like, and the and the other henchwoman, like, I looking at the car that was tailing. I think she's in credits. Isn't Mayday hidden in the back of his car? And you learn assassin? later, mate. Yeah, you realize Mayday. They kill two people like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same gag. Like they, like he's in the car. He's in the car wash machine. The brushes are wiping the car down through the window. You see Mayday from the back seat come and start garroting him. Yeah, and then uh, they do that later with his CIA hookup. Yeah, Chuck, uh, CIA agent Chuck Lee. Played by David Yip, who was famous uh, as for the Chinese detective in the BBC. Yeah. And he's in a lot of movies. He's in Temple of Doom. He's the guy yeah, who helps right. Indy and he gets shot. I go fast, Indy. Into the next adventure. Um, I will say, I do have to say, though, I mean, the repetition of it is, ugh. but. Well, it's just like, that's how my day kills. Yeah. Mayday action figure. Kill, choke from behind, you know, in a car. Exactly. Like, like Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. Um, But. That's. You should have talked about Clemenza when he kills the guy. No, I can't remember his name. The guy who set up Sonny. Connie's husband. Oh God uh, damn it. Carlo? Is the name Carlo? Carlo. Yes. Carlo. Okay. Um, but the but David Gibbs character, his that character's death though. Um I do have to say, for a movie that's as haphazard as it is, that did actually haunt me a little bit. I was like, ooh, because of the way that it was set up and then just so casually as Bond and Stacy are going into their car and the car just drives off and they're none the wiser. Okay, that, fair enough. That was actually I, I gotta admit, I was like, that's really cool. I really like the way they 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 choreographed that. I wish that kind of care had been put into the rest of the film, but you know, you know, credit where credit's due. I thought that that was actually a cool little, little transition there. Fair enough for that. How's he bond get away? He's like before he gets to the whole CIA agent because that's a whole. There's so many long sections. Yeah, it feels <laughs> like you get to get a, like he gets away because they throw the oh yeah they knock him out. He's like killing Tibbet was a mistake. Put him in the car, throw it in a lake, and he uses the tire for air. Yeah, which Something. is oh weird. 
How? And then gets to San Francisco because I Wait, guess that's where like, how there's do you, a tanker. He's like sucking on the valve of the tire. That's not how that works, Mr. Bond. No. Yeah, not. but audiences are dumb. Dumb. That's how an oxygen tank can explode when shot by an M1 Garand rifle in Jaws. People don't know how things work. Right. Moving on. Yeah, it, it's it's got him. It's it's, it's rough. It's someone else take over because I can't do this anymore. I okay. mean, because but that's the thing. It's exhausting to go through this beat for beat. Cause then, yeah, because then there's that one lady, the Russian agent. That she's like, they find a tank. They find his factory that's pumping salt water. Okay. I do have a question on that about that Russian agent though, because apparently in early him. versions of the script, it was supposed to be Anya Masova from Spy, from who, Spy who Loved Me. Now, as it is written, would it have been appropriate to have her come back? Because I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, well, if Anya's back, I just kind of want her for the rest of the movie. Right, it's a different yeah. movie. Exactly. But do you guys think that the movie would have been improved with her? Uh, her if it presence? falls the way it happens, the way it does, it's like, what's the point of her being there other than cool? She's Academy. there for a second. Yeah. I just think the movie needed less horses. <laughs> I think racing. more horses. Quite yeah, I mean, if you want to make it about horse racing and have it set at a racetrack where there's this big horse event happening and there's something happening in the background there that's a part of this larger scheme and that's the center of the movie, fine. But the whole sinking... It's in another country that they go to to do this other fucking thing. The, the base of operation has nothing to do with this horse ranch. It's just stupid. Yeah, stupid, uh, and uh, the kind of stupid that is is very hard to forgive. With it's, it's the kind like- of it's kind of like John Glenn was saying along with the writers and the producers and everything. And they're like, you know what I love about this is that it's a metaphor with the horses. You know what I mean with the, them genetically engineering the horses and genetically engineering Zord. We live in a society. <laughs> exactly, it's like exactly that vibe. I just want to way vomit to date the podcast. Yeah, Christ. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it grosses me out just how like base it ultimately is and how unclever all the writing is and the dialogue and the lack of tension between characters, between Mayday and James Bond, between um, Zorig. What's his name again? Zorig. Zorin. By the way, disclaimer. Zorin Industries, not to be confused with Zorin uh, Industries that also produces. Yeah, it's a real thing. They had to put that disclaimer at the top of the movie. I guess to wrap up, he finally meets up with uh, Stacy Stevens. What's her fucking name? Stacy Sutton. Stacy Sutton. Susanna Sampson's nice. (laughs) Sinjin Smy. All I do is eat rocks all day. I don't know what eggs are. You made an omelet. <laughs> what? What? And it's awful, awfully <laughs> written character. I don't think it's Tanya Roberts' fault. She's kind of giving her best shot at. Yikes! Respect for the dead. I, I, but again, I'm not going to celebrate mediocrity. Oh, what a guy! You're so. Yeah. What <laughs> conviction? I mean, I, there's no reason. I mean, you know, if if she fell below the bar, I would say, you know, 
Um, I don't think she, she's that bad. She's not no. the worst. It's just her character is horribly written and um, written. she's get, not they, convincing they, as get, a, a, get in line with everything. I mean, she's yeah. like not the best actress, but she's I not convincing she just, as a scientist. So that makes it. Is she a scientist? I thought she was just an angry daughter. She's supposed to be no, a geologist. She's a geologist. Totally went over my head. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Her too. Way to inadvertently like prove John's point. Well, I to me it was like if she's just a daughter trying to like fucking you know you you knew take down you see, Zorin. That's and I'm like, pro- hey, that's fine. But that's she's also fine. the problem. You just assigned her that role in the film where like she's just a daughter, like she's a girl. Well, that's what I heard. I didn't hear anything else. <laughs> Like, I'm not saying that, like, oh, I tapped out on hearing anything other info. Like, I just missed that info is what I'm saying. I mean, fair. I mean, they don't. I mean, it's. uh, That's what I mean. Like, it's not like she's she doesn't he doesn't meet her like in the field chipping at rocks next to Sam Neill or anything like she's just she's in her fucking mega house with no furniture looking yeah. beautiful in a beautiful dress being like rock salt shotgun you know and all this shit that i'm just like <laughs> but i'm just like all right she's just mad at zorn i get it took her took her legacy away you know yeah, i get man. it i yeah. mean if they if they had pulled like a molina havelock kind of deal like that would have been totally fine but exactly who's that yeah it, it and it's a problem that <laughs> that she has and also denise richards has in world is not enough where it's like Jesus Christ! I'm sorry. Like you, like that's like, a big one because they really go out of the way to be like she's fucking science lady, and she's like, right. I'm my shirt is tied at my belly and my shorts uh, are short. You know, like they really fuck that up. Inter- this, like, but here's the thing: I don't care about the fact that she's dressed, you know, atypical to put it mildly, of a scientist. And I'm talking about both Stacy and. Let's say she needed and, to be in a lab coat. No, no, but it's like, like, but at the end of the day glasses actor's ability to pull off pull it off pull off that part of the character i don't think it has to be that high a bar because it's james bond i agree but i do think that you need to tout a level of distinction as a performer and that is very evident in something like goldeneye where a simple role like natalia could have been taken for granted and they casted someone who was very strong and emotional in that role and when she had to speak about any of the science of the film, anything regarding computers, anything regarding the GoldenEye satellite and her job as a programmer, she understood what she was talking about. Absolutely. This isn't a case of like, oh, my God, a typical Bond movie. They had to carry someone who can't do what we've had examples even before GoldenEye of these actors playing these roles of these women who who are meant to be the ones who give us this information who are smart and capable and actor actors like honor blackman who've pulled it the fuck off they really have or even you know? compared to we just watched from russia with love as well and i feel yeah. like there's there's an example of one of the more passive bond girls in the franchise and even with that role well played yeah i love you Oh, James, can't we just can't we just sit and talk and just make love to me on this train all day? (laughs) You hairy beast, (laughs) you animal. I mean, anyway, (laughs) (laughs) sorry. But I'm saying like she's a memorable character despite her passivity. And if so long as you can play the role because she's totally innocent, caught in this, you know, horrible situation. I don't, but I don't doubt her patriotism. I don't doubt her devotion to the mission at any point. It's her James. intellect. 
you doubt her intellect because she doesn't come off as an intellectual. She just comes yeah. off as just kind of like, well, you, if he blows up the fault line, then it will result in. It, it literally does look like she's reading the script. And it's like, I mean, and, yeah, she's I always. I don't think she's that bad. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not trying to like overpraise her. Like, no, 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 you no, know, no. man. There's there's something gold there. We shouldn't oversmear that she's the worst part of this movie. That's no, not, not really at the all. Not yeah. at all. You know what sold it for me? She looked really scared in the uh, elevator fire sequence. Oh, no. it was a good scene. She's yeah. like, James! I was like, dude, you need to answer her because she's terrified. <laughs> He's just like still climbing up and she's like freaking out. She's I like, really want to like digitally crop you into movies like over characters' shoulders being like, man, you got to catch up with this. <laughs> you see what's happening? Talk to her. She's scared. <laughs> You're surrounded by fire, and you're just not speaking to her. <laughs> reach, reach longer, reach further. Do it. Get, get her. Encourage her. Don't just yell at her. Uh, can we also talk about how incredibly boring, forgettable, and useless the cop car chases with him riding the uh, the uh, another goofy thing, goofy shit, ruining a it, cool he, stunt of a guy he, hanging off a fire ladder. Like, he drives the. F- fire engine like a full-on like hose engine through downtown san francisco which at night is not interesting to look at real quick because uh she works for an office played uh for this guy mr howe played by this actor uh daniel benzali who is a big time character actor he was on the show murder one and a whole bunch of tv shows like x-files and stuff i think he still works but anyway uh, he's like working with Zorin, I guess, to approve the Zorin's placement of pumping salt water into the lakes or whatever. But it ends up being like, oh, he's using this guy. So Zorin shows up to kill Bond and what's her name? Sissy Spacek. And yeah. then he just kills that guy. And then they try to burn down that city hall thing. Hence the fire. It's the most useless state. and forgettable part of the movie. Yeah, and that's oh, the everything scene. leading up to, that. and that's the scene where we're we're walking is just like I'm gonna point and act with the gun and scratch my head and all that shit, <laughs> which is an accomplishment given just how forgettable a lot of this movie. And he, and he oh yeah, he tries to frame Bond, which should set yeah. kind of set up your third act. Like everyone's after Bond, yeah. he has to he has to stop the bad guy, not just to stop the bad guy, but to prove his innocence. You know, a formula that they would nail in a movie called The Fugitive, but. <laughs> Great movie, well, and let's and and Rick. I think uh, I think we should maybe. Do you want to talk about your traumatic experience with, uh, with the fugitive? Not not now, but maybe one day. <laughs> That's an episode in and of itself. That's an episode in and of itself. <laughs> um, I uh, was also cons- just off topic slightly, but within the same vein. Um, I was thinking of another movie while I was watching this that's eerily similar called uh, Remo Williams. Do you guys know about that one? Yeah, yeah. Fred uh, Ward? Fred Ward? Yeah, I mean, if I, had, if I ever had to drum up what I would think would make a great 1985 answer to James Bond in America, uh, I, the first casting choice I would think of is, uh, is Fred Ward, right? And then, um, and then, better yet, let's hire Guy Hamilton to direct, right? Because he directed some James Bond movies. That movie's produced by Dick Clark, <laughs> of American Bandstand put serious money into it and it features some of the most offensive yellow face I've ever seen in my life that was also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Makeup. True story. 
Um, yeah, completely off topic, but just in terms of like the reason it came to mind was sort of the use of set pieces that get so wasted away and don't seem to have any real meaning to the story. Well, they do the they do the they do they're they're chasing and then there's like stupid comedy going on. They have this Dennis Franz doppelganger police chief who like takes it personal with Bond. Yeah. He's just like, this your no gun, get under arrest. And it's like, no, I'm really British intelligence. They have this whole yeah, you're under yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to arrest you. This whole prolonged comedy scene that's not even, and that's the thing, there's a comedic beat in the fucking chase, which is when we're supposed to get to the bad guy, when we're supposed to get to the fucking final part of the movie, the final part of the fucking plot, and he has this thing with another police officer, not Bond, nobody else. His thing with the police officer is like, well, you wrecked your car, it's gonna come out of your paycheck, and then his car gets fucked up, and all the... Well, that, that, that I'm gonna get to that, because it was like, in the chase, there's like a couple, they like wanted the gag were like, the roof of a bed of a truck gets torn off and two people are sleeping naked in the bed of the truck uh, on like on like there? a commercial street on like US one. Yeah, like third unit. <laughs> it's like, why are they doesn't sleeping? Even, doesn't even look good. Doesn't even no. read as it's a good like, comedy. It's like, beat. Yeah, it's like two people sleeping in their truck on Myrtle Avenue. So it's just like or it having sex. Sense. It's not a good angle or anything. You're just like, I kind of see that you guys say, yes, it's funny. I got to keep watching this. It's like, I get it. Somebody saw the road warrior where the tent flies up and they were fucking and they wanted to do that bit. You know, <laughs> that is an issue throughout this movie. You know, what's funny? There's one moment in the movie where Bond is hanging from the from the Zeppelin. And it's just the angle is just so nothing and blase. Rick mentioned earlier about how music cues are totally used wrong. That fantastic theme, like da 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 da. That yeah, like it's like it's a like it's like ah. Yeah, it's like a nice like ah. And then using it that moment where it's supposed to be high tension, so it's so not appropriate. But the whole time I'm thinking, it's like this looks boring. It's literally a guy, an actual guy hanging from a fucking zeppelin, and it looks boring. And I just thought of Mission Impossible Fallout. I was about to say, cut to years yeah. later, how you do that right. Yeah. It's like, he's hanging off a helicopter. This should look interesting and yeah, fuck. We are like, Jesus Christ, don't fall, you know. Yeah. Fuck, he yeah. fell! You know? the, the Zeppelin doesn't do a lot of moves to make it treacherous for him. He well, literally just hangs. It would be exciting and try it. Even if they like had to use models to fake it and blue screen. You make that sequence that like, because they know he's hanging. So they're just chilling. They're like, let's head to uh, the Golden Gate. And now that's smart, but then that's boring to get there. It's slow. So, slow. It's so slow. have it be like they're trying to dangle him off. And then they're like, yeah, the bridge. And, oh, my and, God. Yeah. And right. slowed down by pretty easygoing music. Like, Can we just shoot him? Aim and shoot. Because there's guys... other ropes hanging about him. Jay- yeah. Bond could be swinging to the next one. We're, like we're crazy we're, shit. You know? We're swooping ahead. But be, but on the topic of the Zeppelin, um. You know, before we started recording earlier, I was just watching the last 20 minutes of this movie when you guys called and uh, because I was uh, procrastinating on watching this whole movie uh, after I after I had researched it and learned what I was getting myself into, I really procrastinated. So I was watching the end of the movie and you might have seen me cracking up and like I started like losing it. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Can't wait. That Tanya Roberts gets ambushed by the Zeppelin is one of the most ridiculous oh, fucking yes. things I have ever seen in my life. 
because how can she not see it or at least hear or feel it coming from behind her? It's huge. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Because everyone is stupid in this movie. James Bond is at at his most useless in this movie. It would have made sense if they hung Mayday down from a rope or a line or something and she repelled and snatched her up and then just yanked her right up into the air and they'd reeled them in. I would have bought that. Or before he gets in the goddamn blimp, she, you know, she's coming out, you know, or, he just sees her, grabs her. Oh, but and Mayday, like, he, he, he pulls her into the he pulls her into the house that turns into a blimp. Like just set up yeah. something that it's before that. Yeah. Not this sequence of like Yeah, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's just like, dumb. It doesn't I guess make they needed Bond sense. to see that she got kidnapped. It's not only that, she just gets kidnapped like that. It's not like oh, it just doesn't make any sense. The thing moves so slow. I mean, and he's like running towards her and he's like, look out. And she's just like, why can't just running at him, not looking around, not listening to him, just looks dopey. And then his thing is foiled. So why was he kidnapping her? Just so before we get to that, I I think like. So like he steals the fire truck. There's a whole stupid action sequence. Not stupid. It's not really actually stupid. It's just how they do it is stupid. Because the idea is cool, like hanging off a fucking ladder of a fire truck in traffic. That's scary if done properly, not as a Looney Tunes gag. You know, and yeah. And then it turns into like the police cop or captain or Sarge like, hey, pull up the bridge. I don't think he has that authorization, but fine. You know, and it's a drawbridge and James Bond barely makes it. And then, yeah, other cop cars get stuck and slide back down. And yet, as Tony was saying, the dickhead Sarge is just like, that's coming out of your paycheck. And like, it was your fucking idea, jerk off. Fuck you. You know, that scene starts turning into the Blues Brothers all of a sudden. It really yeah. does. Like a, yeah, like a, like just a poor man's Blues Brothers. And through that, yeah. that's when they realize I forget how, but like they go to where all this Zorin activity what they looks like it's like mining. You know, and it's just like guy who they got set up at that earlier party that's working with Zoran and his crew because yeah. they don't mind blowing shit up. They set up all these explosives in order to blow up these lakes. They're going to flood Silicon Valley and all that. But Zoran betrays everybody, shoots all the workers, you know, sends his cr- uh, his cronies, his henchmen led by Mayday to go get Bond. And but he leaves them to die and he sets off the bomb. He sets off the the water getting flooded ahead of time. Or something. The one time he has any sense of yeah. menace in the movie. And it's like, what a waste. Like, why do that to Mayday? I mean, I don't mean like, why'd you do that to Mayday character? I mean, like, why do that movie? Like, she's like your big henchman bad. Like, yeah, I wanted to he- see her and Bond fight, not like, ah, oh, he broke my heart, you know? And it's, yeah, I, it's, and you're it's, so cool. And give, give the villain something. Like, he loves her. <coughs> he, loves, and yeah. he loves his doc dad. He's not well, just. Yeah. They could know. be a, a disgusting, like, you know, genetic family, you know, that could I have mean, been interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I think the thing is, like, look, Mayday dying at the end is not. I mean, Grace Jones does it well. Get yeah. Zorin for me. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. So She's so operatic and awesome. It's it's awesome. I, I just gives him that, She gives him that look when she comes out of the cave. But that's the thing. I would have liked to have seen Badass. the crazy fight the crazy where she's the one who actually takes out Zorin. You know there I mean? you go. Or that. There you go. Yeah. Right. She ruins she ruins his plan by setting off the charge outside of the the charges. 
Yeah. So that so she foils his plan by making sure that the brakes on the minecart that races out of the facility doesn't fall when they race the charge out. And James Bond's like, jump, jump. She's like, I can't. I got to lift the brake to make sure it gets outside. And totally he's just agree. like, he's like, jump. <laughs> he keeps telling her just to jump and even though he knows that he she shouldn't do that it's clear now jump you'll be fine yeah it's the kind of sequence <laughs> they would do later you would film that and edit it you know like bond realizing like my god like yeah just his reaction as he just starts to slow down being like no. she's doing like, like she's gonna die and, yeah, and like but, but what a change what a change of character it's the best part of the movie when she finally makes it outside and triumphantly looks him right in the fucking eye and it's fuck just you. like yeah. you fucking bitch yeah. and the, the and only da- fucking reason why it doesn't pay off is because they don't just show her explode they don't show it and it blows my mind because you see honestly the dummy just needs to start stand on a large enough charge to where it just goes up and you shoot that in slow motion with a good enough dummy in there like yeah, it might it be a little too much i don't know that yeah i, I agree with it i think it would have just been like exciting to see the flame obscure her so that you saw something of a semblance of like a that i'll give you because that's dramatic that's powerful like her determination that face yeah and Con- yeah and, and i keep wanting to say connery i don't know why and then walking his look is like like you know he, he, he puts his hand to his palm and he's like you, you, my plan didn't work, my, you know. Like fuck you, Mayday. You know. Are you talking? Is, I guess like, you're right. I guess you guys are right. That is a good. Are you guys? Are you talking more, kind of like almost like a, like the shot where Gollum realizes that he's being engulfed by the lava at the end of Lord of the Rings? That kind of thing. Well, well I'm I know, just saying I mean, like, it, it's mean, not a. It's not fun when in you're watching a movie, especially that thrives on visual language. To yeah. see a pivotal character literally fall off screen, and then that's the, they're done. You don't see what happened to them. Like oh, if you're I, watching I, the I end agree. of Die Hard, and you don't see Hans Gruber fall all the yeah. way down. More like yeah. you don't that's see his. That's not going to well, work. That, that, that's not it for me. It's the, it's the face. Yes, of people course. have talked or about like, online because it's like the with the face and the way they shoot it with that slow mo. Oh yeah, the Palma yeah. style in like him. It's not just yeah. We're all doing the face. No one can see us before. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's seen Die Hard, it's like a legendary shot. Uh, and this is I've heard it talked about. I can't remember who. So uh, well, I I saw the behind the scenes, and um, uh, it was uh, it was Alan Rickman himself who was retelling how um the stunt person said, "Oh yeah, but it, three, I'm gonna drop you," and he just said one and just let go without it, right, telling and that's him. the face whoa yeah and but so when you it, get that serious fear struck into his in, eyes in the context of the movie what what i've read her read someone describe it as is that because he's holding on to her watch the watch that connects her to the corporation and so when bruce willis breaks it. it it's like their marriage is yeah you know blah 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 mm-hmm. but that's the watch that hans is uh holding on to so then when all of a sudden he falls and he gets that look in the context of the movie it's like that's Hans Gruber realizing he's lost. Yes. Yeah, and, and it's like and it and it, it lends it that power. It's and not I, just the bad guy falling, it's like you lost. You're and done. it goes to show that for all of the presence and strong um performance that Grace Jones lends to Mayday throughout the film, I mean she's the most memorable part. I don't think she even does enough. I think that in a lot of cases she has to direct herself and I would have loved if she had kept up attention with Bond or some something in her where, like, you see that she has a sense of humor. Everything. She doesn't ever smile. 
and it drives me nuts. That's not true. That's not true. That is not, not not true. And to be honest, I think that the Grace Jones is Grace Jones as Mayday. The big problem with her character is the same problem that every character has in this movie: underserved by the script. She yeah. and Christopher Walken. They they make two of the most memorable Bond villains in the canon, based off force of personality alone. They should have been into each other. Yeah, everything that Grace Jones does yeah. in this role is, in my opinion, pitch perfect. Well, she's does, good. She does everything right. It's something they would do better in World I, Is Not Enough with I just, Kyle I just Lyle agree. and Sophie. I yeah. can just see missed opportunities with giving her character more of that arc and more of that tension and more of that emotional send-off, especially when she has that end, so you can really yeah. justify her having her heart broken and why she would help Bond at that point. You really need to earn that, and I don't think the movie does that, but she does great in the role. Don't get yeah, me wrong. For sure, and, 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 that's all, and that's what it all comes down to. This script is rife with underdeveloped ideas that could have made for a yeah. really compelling I do want that shirt on film. I do want Mayday. That's all in for me. And she's just <laughs> got the arm. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna she's make so one badass. She's she's great. She's she awesome. needed a spinoff. <laughs> That'd have been sick. Like in the next it's it, the end credits like Mayday will return. You're like what? Mayday will return in vamp. Yeah. <laughs> in showgirls deep cut deep cut. but dude, it's it's a yeah i mean a great character in an otherwise shitty fucking movie oh my um, god but can we just imagine for a moment david bowie on top of grace jones during their scene earlier on i just so. would have <laughs> i i can imagine the tension between them in the movie and how cool that would have been and now like, i want to rewrite it that it's like two german brothers yeah, like Zara, Zoran, <laughs> and weird. Zoran and Zach, like it's just Zach like and Zoran. Max and Zach David Bowie Zoran? and Walken. It's like, <laughs> like it's just too weird to be. It would have been so cool, like that weird twin brother homoeroticism. We are yeah. the same thing. And they're both karate fighting with Mayday, and it's and they're threesome. both genetically engineered, and they're both in, in like it's a threesome. It's just wild. Ew. Ew. Oh, that's so weird and gross. It's James Bond, baby. I guess that's how it works, Go. This is a Bond <laughs> film directed by Bernardo Bertolucci. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. Or Brian De Palma. Fuck it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, so John, you're, you're talking about like you mentioned earlier about how like this movie looks like it was shot almost excluded by a second unit. So, uh, no, I did. Well, yeah. Rick well, said that, Rick but did. I totally agree. Rick did, but I want to hear what John has to think about it. Okay. I don't. I'm turning my mic. Right. Well, Tune in next this week. This person. Uh, yeah, I'm bouncing off what Rick said. Uh, I do think that the movie, like he also said, um, has like an autopilot quality to the workmanship regarding most of like the production design and also the way it was shot. Um, I don't think they tried to find the best vantage points on things. I think they literally found the gist of what the shot was put on a fucking lens and tried to get as much of it as they could with natural light so they could just go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the movie also suffers as we've kind of already expressed in the story department from like an overabundance of set pieces that don't really amount to much from like the Eiffel tower to this giant horse mansion to the golden gate bridge and how those see how that scenery is implemented 
using cities like Paris and San Francisco's streets as characters, the opportunities are missed constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to shoot San Francisco at night, not visually appealing. Um, you know, and you not even shoot San a Francisco. hilly road. No, no. And, and, and the other challenge of course, of racing a fire engine against police cars in San Francisco is steep inclines and how unmanageable that really is. And they don't even try, they don't even try to explore any opportunities or character uh, from either of the cities to lend to the storytelling of it. And I completely agree. agree. San Francisco is a very photogenic city. I mean, listen, say what you will about the movie, but like Venom did a good job at like shooting chase scenes at night in San Francisco and actually, you know, use the environment. Can I also say, you know, if you're going to set your villain to want to do his bidding in somewhere like San Francisco, you know, give him a lair, give him a, a base somewhere to work from in San Francisco, not just a blimp, maybe. Um, and I was like, because because we have to travel around from where the horse ranch is, where he lives across to a whole other fucking country where Silicon Valley is. And I'm just like, why aren't you just there already? And why do you have a blimp? It's so slow. But I guess you just know how to travel in style. It's also also a boring blimp because, I mean, look, a lot of these layers, I don't uh, it's like you don't question the logic because of like uh, because of, you know, it's the bond, uh, the, the bond aesthetic. But like Zorn is a character who's super fucking rich. He has a multinational corporation. It's perfectly pl- like you you couldn't have a more plausible setup for a fucking lair. And more to the point, you want to use a blimp? Fine. Why couldn't the blimp be like furnished like a suite or or something? It just it's looks just like a missing that touch, that Ken Adams yeah. touch. Yeah. And that that sort of emphasis on industry. I mean, even the boardroom inside of the blimp is the most boring and sterile looking fucking thing. Uh, it's not interesting to look at. You also see the split down the middle to produce the model that comes up of Silicon Valley. And let me also add how totally redundant it is for him to even present the model because he's just like, I present to you a model of Silicon Valley. And you're like, okay, what about the model? And he dumps a bunch of microchips on it. And he's like, you're living in fuck city. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, basically. But but he doesn't even say what he's going to do at that moment. So the whole model serves no visual purpose because there's nothing that stands out about Silicon Valley visually, just a bunch of little buildings and a little thing and the slab. And you're like, okay, couldn't you have just pointed it out on a fucking map? Well, it's I, I keep thinking model? of other movies, including other Bond movies that did it better. And it's like, ladies and gentlemen, Delta City. And it shows you these big skyscrapers <laughs> that they're going to yeah. tear down all these communities to build. Well, it and I know no vision. one likes the movie, but God damn it. You know, the bad guy lair at the end is the big. It's not just the ice palace. It's the big giant Harrier jet, which is like totally retrofitted to be this guy's airborne laser oh. lair and all this. Shit. Yeah, exactly. And they utilize it. Everyone can hate it. I understand why. No, Rick, they use that right. fucking set, that jet set. And it's yeah. moving yeah. and it and it glides and it fucking and it and also i don't i don't want to discredit the filmmakers and say like why couldn't they have done it as better as they did later on but like look at a movie like the rocketeer where they actually have to create a a, like a hindenburg style zeppelin great and example and the visuals 
and how beautiful and overwhelming that thing is. You don't even question the logic of like, why would you fill that with hydrogen? That it was, you know, hiding which was behind a problem the at the LA time. That it was hiding behind the LA Observatory. And it just no, 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 no. Blew. You don't even care. Because oh, the reveal is awesome. It's, yes. it's epic. It's, and, it, and it, 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 it comes over the observatory and then it's a low angle shot of it going over Paul Servino, the Nazis, Tim Dalton, the rocket. It's, and everyone's looking at it like, holy and it shit, a Nazi blimp is in L.A. You know, it emphasizes scale on a very significant and, and, level and which, shock and horror and fuck. Yeah. You know? And and yeah. another another thing about the, the influence of doing a blimp to be influenced by the, 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 the Zeppelin, you know I mean? That was obviously the reference is like, Oh, we're, we're Nazis. They're low level Nazis. And they're like, we're going to travel like Nazis. And I get the logic, but it's fucking dumb. Well, they said it up in Rocketeer. I I could forgive. I'm I'm talking about in a view to a kill. Oh, sorry. I could, I could forgive (laughs) the logic being dumb. If there was more emphasis on the emotional connection. You know what I mean? I could forgive yes. that. I could forgive that because it's like if I buy because the thing is it's like one of my favorite one of my least favorite criticisms of a movie is when someone says like oh that character did something that's a bad idea therefore it's a bad character. It's like no if the storytelling is right characters may do things that they shouldn't do but if you buy into the character if they do a good enough job it doesn't mean that they wouldn't do that thing. And John, you're absolutely right. The logic is dumb. It's always going to be dumb. But I want to at least be able to buy that a character would plausibly go to that place. Like, mm-hmm. you could point no, it out I'm, to that character. This is a dumb thing to do, but well, they don't care and they're going to do it. Well, I think the the Bond films are definitely, um, they're generous in terms of relying on style over substance. And that is okay in in terms of like uh, providing yeah. entertainment, and I think that's why a lot of people gravitate towards the Bond films. They're an escapist, uh, you know, series. Yeah. And like, but how non-escapist to watch the fucking Goodyear blimp about to kill James Bond? It's Absolutely. fucking boring. It's very boring. I mean, for fuck's sake, we, we brought up Last Crusade several times up in this in this episode alone. It worked. It, it and it fits in this instance. Like there was a there was a zeppelin in that movie. There's a blimp, and it yeah. provides the backdrop for a very very exciting action sequence. And they get, off the they get on planes. That's right. Still, I I do want to point out they don't waste time on the blimp. They like, Let's get off this fucker. You know. But also, yeah, just yeah. look at the way the design of that blimp. It looks grand. It looks like there has there's space. It's like it it mm-hmm. says it. it lend something to the visual language of the film you can yeah. well it in one way i thought about how earlier on in the film james bond says to the girl in the uh submarine glacier he's just like we have five days till we get to alaska and i'm just thinking to myself and no shower no bathroom just your sweaty bodies and this just little tiny vodka and sex but then you look at the the zorin and, blimp and you're and you're like how long did it take them to get from london all the way to San Francisco in that thing. And there's no TV. There's no pool table. Just dynamite in a safe. Yeah. And some, and some Uzis. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, the, and the funny thing is, is Damn like, it, Carl, we can't eat Uzis. <laughs> the need, no, but you can do shots out of them. But the knee jerk reaction, <laughs> is, it's a Bond movie, but 
when you're already starting to question, when you're, it's got to the point where you're always starting to question those details. You've already lost the audience. Well, like, that's what I'm saying. Especially in a bond. Not enough if the idea isn't fun. Yeah, and I'm saying then... that to your point, John. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, the visual style's lost on this film. And again, why I think, you know, Rick, you saying it looks like it's all shot by second unit. It's like, well, that's how the whole movie was kind of produced. It's just like, oh, good. I don't want to build another thing. Shoot as much of this fucking horse ranch as you can. And then when we go to San Francisco, we'll shoot the bridge. We'll shoot the street. We'll shoot this hole in the ground. And we have some tracks to blow up. They don't build anything. They didn't even try. You know, there's like no attempt on behalf of the filmmakers to try and construct yeah, The closest, I guess, something. is the mine. That's just the most boring fucking hole in the ground to look at. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's the closest. Yeah, I know, but it's so awesome. sad that it's literally like you're telling me the most visually interesting thing to look at in this movie that production design could figure out is a hole in the ground with some TNT at the bottom of it. I mean, look, you're com- the last movie that w- that's this crew made before this was Octopussy. Say what you will about that movie. There's a lot of effort. The pr- exactly. Effort. That's the key word. Effort. Into the production design. And that movie looks really fucking great. And it uses its environment to great effect, irregardless of the actual quality of the overall film, which we'll get to when we discuss it. It's not a word. The problem with View to a Kill is the lack <laughs> of effort. Yeah, it gets an F for effort. E. Or at least I don't see I'm effort. giving it an F. I'm still giving it an F. <laughs> or at the very least, I don't see the effort on the screen. I it's don't. definitely out there. I think yeah, everybody was having a good time off camera, but it, it didn't translate. Yeah, to, but it to just wrap, came off as too casual. Yeah. To, to wrap up, I will say this, because we were talking, you guys were mentioning you got to personalize it somehow. I think this is, if when I'm thinking about it, this is kind of the end of them not doing that because even in living daylights there's personal connections from hero to love interest to villain and stuff you know and even whatever we we all individually think of the individual movies from a view to a kill on like even in the brazen ones there's it's personal between you know bond and what's his name sean bean uh, Alec Trevelyan. Trevelyan. Yeah, yeah there's Tomorrow more Never Dies. There's personal stuff between Terry Hatcher and Price yeah. and Bond and World Is Not Enough. Sophie Mercier yeah. and Robert Carlyle and, you know, and Die Another Day. It's uh, Robert Carlyle's the shit in that. You know, Robert Robert Die Another Day. It's, but, you know, the son and yeah. his father and the personal stuff with Bond in that. So it's like they. And Rockface. They, they must have learned a lesson between. View to a, you know after view to a kill I think because like everything we mentioned about not fast Harry, enough. Well, I'm just saying like it, I'm trying to say is that like it definitely it, there's a change of course in that regard after view to a kill it seems to me whatever one in, whatever one yeah. thinks of the individual movies objectively there's a change of course in terms of a little more emphasize on personal conflict. Yeah, and that's that's very astute. I think that's yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, and uh yeah i think that's actually the perfect uh way to wrap up the the discussion part of the episode um as always when we get to when we talk about these films we have a little game that we play where we pick our favorite original character our favorite bond kill and our favorite one-liner um so we're gonna start with rick on this one the first question is who is your favorite original character in view to a uh, definitely mayday i mean but 
again, not for anything really extraordinary because of the character. It's just Grace Jones is just fucking exudes screen presence and just life and just nature. And she's just cool. You know, like once she gets away from uh, Bond in that initial Paris thing, like her walking, I forget what he asked her. It's like, you know, successful. She says like, yeah. And then he kind of gives a smirk and she goes like, (laughs) she does this like crazy diabolical laugh. And I'm just like, I love it when bad guys love being bad. Agreed. That's why I love Palpatine. People were like, oh, they fucking brought him back. And I'm just like, I don't care. He loves his job. Yeah, he yeah. does. I'm with <laughs> you, you there. I, I, I like a villain that loves their job in movies, not in life. Um, <laughs> in life, keep those people away from in, in life. It really sucks and it's scary. Um, <laughs> what's the next question? So the next one is, what's your favorite Bond kill? Uh, none. Bond doesn't have one good kill in this movie. And it's not just to be a shithead or contrarian or like, <laughs> I'm making a big point because this movie sucks. It's like, <laughs> There, he really doesn't have one. No, he, he really does not have a good kill in this movie. I don't think he kills anyone. I think, yeah, I Doran think- dies because he slips. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Likes it's not slip. even Bond, like, you're out of here or whatever. Like, <clears throat> he never even says, like, he doesn't even give him a good, like, you know, one line, like, outer, like, nothing. Yeah. So, what's your favorite one line? No good one line? It's not even said by Bond. It's said by Zorin. What is it? After they drop out, uh, they have the, yeah, the, the big boardroom in the blimp thing. The one guy is like, I want no part of this. And he's like, okay, well, you know, wait to get you a drink in the back and all this shit. And made and made is like just down here, down these stairs. And the guy's like, okay. And he keeps going. And it's actually kind of horrifying because all of a sudden this slot opens up to the outside and then the stairs turn into a slide and the guy just slides out to his death over the San Francisco Bay. I mean, I think that uh, the funny thing is, is that the only time that the the film effectively makes me feel something. Yeah. Cause I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) That's not your favorite kill. (laughs) I guess that, but once again, not bond related, but does that matter? Does it have to be bond killing someone or can it just be your favorite kill of the movie? It could be your favorite flavor of ice cream. Yeah, I guess we're just going to break all the rules because John fucking says so. There you go. So, John, who's your favorite original character? Wait, I didn't even say my line. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, Rick. (laughs) Rick. Jesus Christ. And then, like, what's your favorite uh, one liner? My apologies. So then, yeah, after the guy slides out, Mayday comes back and uh, uh, I keep wanting to say Connery. And then Walken just says, Does anyone else want to drop out? And I literally (laughs) went, Ha! And that was it. Oh my god! But no, Bond doesn't get <laughs> Bond doesn't get a good line other than the fucking got off eventually, and no fucking good kills. So I'm curious, unless I missed something. No, John, who's your favorite original character in this? Dip it. Um, I I want to say Mayday because I love um Grace Jones's performance so much, but I think on paper, I really like Zoran as a character. So I'm going to I'm going to hand it over to Zorin because uh, I think I think uh, Walken gives so much more dimension and depth to the character than what's on the page and what they allow him to do with the character in the story. And like just like his smirk when he's just about to die and that laugh to himself 
um, before he falls to his death and uh, some of the things he says offhandedly, like that one-liner when they jettison the guy off the blimp, I think that I that that is, so that is awesome my favorite line. That's also my favorite line, but that's because this movie is super short on one-liners. So you're not yeah. you're not wrong, Rick. It's I mean, it's just sure, not even a lot of puns. It's like boring. No, I, and, totally I mean, and when when Bond says he got off eventually the next morning after sleeping with Mayday, it's not funny. It's just kind of like, oh, gross. You're so <laughs> old. What a crazy like, <laughs> Don't even. I don't want to think about it. You know. Mm. Um, well, oh, sorry, John. But yeah, but my favorite um my favorite character is Zorin mostly because I like the idea of a genetically modified Ubermensch being the villain for James Bond. But yeah, all that wasted potential. You know, all the villains for the most part are usually one-offs if not the version of that villains. is Wrath of Khan. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It did kind of remind me of that. And and why also I was upset that Zorin didn't really have any ideology at the end of the day, because if he was supposed to be raised as this like son of a Dr. Frankenstein for the Nazis, like why isn't he imbued with any level of psychological conditioning and how did he get handed over to the KGB and how did he break free and how did he become an industrialist and how, how oh, there's so many, and there's no so many questions unanswered on that character. It's like, you could have spent more time just figuring that yeah, stuff out. I and really making it more can't help but think of die another day. Cause they do that kind mm-hmm. of where the sun breaks away from North Korea. That's right. And like they dramatize that because then the dad is just like, you've lost your fucking mind. He's like, no, like, don't yeah. you get it? Like this. And, and like, there's a drama. Kind of what you're talking about. It's the ideology. There's a good thing, drama right? there. And and that's yeah. the problem is the KGB stalks him and says, no one ever escapes the KGB. And he's just like, <laughs> no one ever escapes the KGB. And he goes, and... exactly. They sound like the Spanish Inquisition and they say it's hilarious. And he's like, no one ever leaves the KGB. <laughs> and he just looks at him like, well, it looks like. I found my way out. <laughs> be, like you know, be, be gone. Be gone with you. Be gone. And I he like doesn't care. Doesn't care. I like how he doesn't give a fuck. You know, I think that's <laughs> something I really admire about his character and the personality that Walken also brings to him because, like, he isn't allowed to do all these things. He's he's half the sketch of what a character. Or Mayday gets the title line. It's great. Absolutely. What if he, you? He does, to kill like he drops it like it's a joke or something and you're like no nobody knows that hunting son that that lyric is no nobody knows it's too obscure but but what would have worked better is if she said what a view and he said um uh you know a check to a view uh wait uh, a a check to a view and a view to a kill um and made it into a pun out of something with a check or for some money that he's counting the checks from all the businessmen that invested in his his thing it's a little or corny. something that sounds like it's prince corny john. but that this sounds movie like, Rick, it sounds like corny, prince john counting also, his you guys hate rest- on me for liking die another day and then you guys are fucking like i want more corny shit like prince uh, john uh, counting his coins in sorry, robin hood Rick, just personality for, for as corny as john suggests in his it is still more be- is better thought out than anything that's in this fucking movie. I'll agree. I'm just pointing it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're you're not wrong. I just think it's on key with what we get out of this movie in terms of cheese and lackluster yeah. thrills. And you know, it's yeah, I think I think that's Walken Walken sends up though for the Zoran role, like he gets more of the psychology downright. He's a psychopath 
and he gets a lot of joy out of being a fucking asshole. He's so good. He's so fun. He's fantastic. He's a, he comes off like a street thug and it makes you question less what his accent is, where he's from. You're just kind of like, I know exactly where you're from. You're from down the street. I see, I see you every day on the street. (laughs) I do want to quickly point out, this is the first time prior to Javier Bardem where they get an Oscar nominee to play the villain. Yes, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Not that that means anything, but fuck. (laughs) It was a strong choice though. It it, it helped. It helped lend to some entertainment in the film. So, you know, so Zorin all the way. And then I think, um, but, but by a close call with Mayday because of how good Grace Jones is, but not a lot of substance in terms of that character development or the design of her, her, um, and then my favorite, um, one liner, you know, Rick already said it. And then uh, favorite original, what was the other one? Favorite Bond film. I, I fucking. There's none. It's, none. You're not wrong. Um, Tony, I, what's yours? I, I liked. I liked when he threw the guy off the blimp, but I don't even really recall people like getting killed. Um, Christ, that's it. Mostly just getting knocked out. Like he throws the guys off their horses during the the escape from the horse ranch. Throwing a guy off a blimp should be like. I, I mostly liked. I no, mostly it be like that should when, be like an average thing Bond does. Not like when when the evil moment. scientist is holding the dynamite in his hands just before the fuse goes off, and he's just like, "Yeah, we're going down." That was fun. I liked that moment because he yeah, he was willing to admit his fate, and he got that send off shot like you know Mayday needed, and like and like Walken needed. But he got it and he goes up and fucking like a ball of flames. But the other thing that's disappointing about that explosion, though, with the fucking blimp is like there's no flames. It just kind of like implodes and folds up a little and then like starts to stream down. And you're like, oh, yeah, Whatever. I, but I, that's, I, I agree. So probably my favorite kill, though, is him holding the dynamite and just going off. That thought was fun. <laughs> I mean, it's good as an example as any. Um, my favorite original character uh, I is Mayday. I think she's awesome. Grace Jones does an excellent fucking job. I'm a fan. And I was more engaged with her than any new, and even more so with Zorin, um, who's a, who's a fun, who's a really a fun villain, but, uh, but Mayday is my favorite original character. My favorite one liner is actually, um, it's, it's when Tippett and he are alone. Tippett asked him, do we really have to keep this up while we're alone? And he and, and Bond says something along the lines of, uh, well, a, se- a, a, cover, a successful cover becomes almost like second nature. And I just kind of like the way it's not a terribly great line, but I actually really like the way Roger Moore delivered it. Like, it's just that that typical twinkle and Roger Moore's eyes that he's just so good at delivering those lines. I, I, I was very taken with that line for whatever reason. Um, I do agree with you with you, Rick. It's a little bit of humanity. It's like, hey, yeah. two uh, people talking yeah, and not over an omelet. Exactly. <laughs> Which it shouldn't be a standout in this kind of movie, but it is. Um, my favorite Bond kill. Uh, Bond killing my enthusiasm for the franchise. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, we're going to cut that part out. Um, no, and my favorite kill. I think that's what you should open with. Fuck no. Um, my favorite and then kill. A cushion. Because, you're right. He doesn't kill anyone. He doesn't kill anybody. 
Wow. It's like Indiana Jones four. He never shoots anyone. I was just going to oh. fucking say that. Yeah. Yeah. So stop stealing my answers. <laughs> He's reading your mind. Um, Stop looking at my notes. Yeah, I, I your hand. I mean, I get I'll, I'll, I guess my favorite kill would be it's not bond related would be when Mayday does kill Chuck Lee. Just because it, it, it was legitimately unsettling, like I actually felt like danger there. So, you know, I mean, maybe favorite is kind of too flippant of a of an adjective for that kind of thing or but. I, I was legitimately unsettled. It made me feel something. So I'll, I'm going to go with that. That's going to be my favorite kill of the film. Um, can, I, can I say so, real quick, a real, 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 very quick. I yeah. just want to give a shout out to this actor, the actor that actually does get killed in the blimp or dropped out of the blimp. Uh, this guy's name was Anthony Chin, and he was actually a technician for Dr. No. Yeah, I think he has pictures on IMDb in Dr. No with Dr. No. He's in Goldfinger as a servant at Ooh. Stud Farm. He did the same with Roger Moore in a couple of episodes. He's in You Only Live Twice as mm-hmm. a Spectre Guard. He's in Rollerball. Yeah. He's Mohan in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. The guy who is helping um, Marion run the place. Yeah. Um, and he did work with in the Indiana Jones show. He's in The Fifth Element. So this guy was like, seems to have been someone who like did a lot of work with uh, the Eon Productions and then later did a lot of good stuff with... Uh, Lucasfilm. Awesome. I just want to give that guy a shout out, Anthony Chin. Anthony Chin, our hats are off to you, sir. Especially uh, yeah, when people do multiple things with the franchise, I think that's cool to point out. As well, you should, Rick. I think that is an excellent, excellent point. That about wraps up our discussion of View to a Kill. Um, proof positive that even if the Bond movie falls a little bit lower on our ranking. We still have a ton of fun discussing it. And hey, at the end of the day, it's 007. That's where we're here for, right, guys? All right. Um, you know his name will return with our discussion of the James Bond title songs. Another staple of the Bond canon, another tradition of the Bond canon. And we're going to get into the entire discography i don't know what the right word for it is but we're gonna get into all of that and it's gonna be a great great discussion we're gonna break down by era and uh yeah so can't wait to join you guys there thank you so much again for listening stay safe out there and remember nobody does it better good night